So good to be here with you. Such a privilege to be a part of such a special day for Manasseh and Sarah and Hazel. So awesome. Uh, our prayer is for many, many more young families to walk through our doors. Uh, if you've been here very much lately, you've heard that we believe if we love the family, we can save the world. And we believe that that is true, that uh, God's love is a thing that can change this world. And we want to be a part of it just as much. Uh, so thankful have Pastor Tim and Debbie with us this morning. Uh, the only way to describe it is an honor to have you here. So thank you for coming. Uh, Chandra and I are grateful for who you guys are to this church. Uh, grateful for walking with us with so much grace last year. And uh, just as we talk people through the process, as I'm sure you have, like it's so obvious the Lord was in it. And man, we're so grateful for it. And we believe wholeheartedly in what they're doing now. Um, it's a really big deal. And being able to have counseling and not to pay for it is can be life-changing, life-saving for some people. So... Uh, we believe in that, and we're glad to have you guys here today. Uh, this morning, uh, we're heading into this new series centered around the Psalms, and it's called uh, His Love Endures Forever. And the title comes from Psalm 136, where that phrase, His Love Endures Forever, is repeated over and over again. And if you were here Wednesday night, uh, this last fall and spring, you know, we spent 15 or 20 minutes each one of those weeks talking through part of a psalm. Usually, I didn't get through uh, all of, of one on those nights. Uh, some of those I'm going to revisit in greater detail, like today, and some of them I will not have taught on before, here or anywhere. But I love the Psalms. One thing I'm learning about life more and more each day is that life has wonderfully high highs, and it has painfully low lows. But it also has a whole lot of in-between. We tend to focus on the mountaintop experience or the valley experience but what I found, and the reality is, the majority of life is taken up by the journey from one to the other, on the way to the mountaintop or on the way to the valley. And there's this old saying, I don't know who actually said it, I guess I could have Googled it or something, but the old saying is, things are never as good or as bad as you think they are. And the truth is usually somewhere in the middle. The reason I'm talking about that is that in all of it, between the, the high highs and the low lows, there's strong emotion that is felt. Right, we all have emotions, and uh, the way God has wired us is that uh, we're all made to express emotions in different ways, and we all feel versions of the same thing, but it manifests itself differently. Now, for some people, the more emotion they feel, the louder they get. Have anyone like that in this place? A few people that would be honest. For others, the more emotion they feel, the quieter they become. I would raise my hand and say I fit in that category. Now, both of these types of personalities, they are valid, but they just look wildly different. Let's say that my wife and I, uh, we are on opposite sides of this. My wife, she processes things by talking. I don't know if she's still in here, but I'm talking about her. She processes things by talking. And it took me a little while once we got married that when she wanted to talk about something, my job was not to interject and fix the problem. My job was to be quiet and listen. And I process things in a way that is much different than that. What I want to do when I'm processing a thing, going through a thing, is I want to go, like, do something where I can move. I want to shoot baskets or I want to hit golf balls. I just want to do something with, with my hands or my legs or whatever and just let my mind kind of chew on it. And a lot of times I don't want to talk about it. Uh, it's funny because we tend to draw Couples to us that have similar dynamics. I just did a wedding for a couple last weekend, and uh, 
man, he is one of the most reserved guys I've ever met, and she is one of the least reserved people I have ever met. It is going to be a joy to watch them figure out (laughs) how they interpret emotions. You see, the thing I love about the Psalms is that there is room for all of that. There's room for all the words. And there's room for the quiet processing. We find them throughout the Psalms. We find the people who wrote them. They're processing life in all kinds of different ways. Just about, believe it or not, just about every emotion you could ever feel, it is spoken to in the Psalms. Now, I will say that um, we went through a stretch several years ago in our family, Chandra and I, when reading through these chapters, man, it was about the only thing that I had the strength to do. You know, I've always been someone who did my devotions and, you know, read the Bible cover to cover. But we went through a time when all I could do was, was read the Psalms and I had this book as a devotion on each one. And, I, and it leaves space to write. And I would write at the end of it. And I go back and I see that stuff. Just remember how they spoke to me. So my prayer is that they would speak to you as well. Many of you probably know that David wrote most of the Psalms. He didn't write them all, but most of them. And they were often composed as songs or poetry. And what I love is that they were written at different points uh, in his life or the other people's lives. And we just finished going through the book of Ephesians, right? Chapter 1 through chapter 6. And we saw six chapters written by Paul, Then they were a snapshot of where he was in that moment and what God was speaking in that moment, right? It's a prison epistle. He was in prison, and they were a snapshot of where he was. But the Psalms are different because they encompass different parts of all of the author's lives. Therefore, there's something that speaks to everybody. And consequently, it speaks to all of the emotion they were feeling. And I believe one of the things we must remember, this is not in a psalm, but there's something we must remember, and I believe Psalms teaches it to us, that it's okay to feel big feelings. Now you read these things, and we're going to read some of them. David, or whoever's writing, the, writing these, he feels big feelings. However, the big feelings don't get to run the show. God is the one that's in charge. We're talking to our sons about that all the time right now. You can feel your feelings, but they don't get to be in charge of you. God's the one in charge. And you know why he's the one in charge? It's because his love endures forever. This morning we're going to be talking about uh, Psalm 139. Uh, Some of these psalms will be well-known. Some of them will not be well-known. I think this would fall under the well-known category. And I actually chose this one because we were doing, I was going to do it sometime in these four weeks, Chose this one to do first because we're doing the baby dedication and it has a verse about how God knew us in the womb. I'm not even going to get to that verse today. So I appreciate that Pastor Tim just went ahead and said it for me. Psalm 139 has this undercurrent uh, running through it that no matter what, God will lead us home. No matter what, God, you can lead me home. Mountain high, valley low, David expresses here this strong belief that God will lead him home. Some of the Psalms, as we go through them, you'll see uh, we know the occasion that they were written on. We, we know why they were written, either by the content that's in them or because the superscription at the beginning tells us. But this is not one of those. You can see there in your Bibles, if you've turned there or flipped there on your device, it probably just says Psalm of David for the director of music, Psalm of David. I believe, church, that no matter what we're facing today, no matter what you are facing today, that God will lead us home. As we get ready to read part of Psalm 139 together, the first thing we can know is that God can lead us home because he knows our destination. 
Let's read together if you have your Bible, Psalm 139, verse 1 through 6. David says this, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me and too lofty for me to attain. You see, where we are going to go, who we're going to become in this life, is determined by what is deep inside of us. Our destination is determined by what is hidden in our hearts. This is actually one of the wonderful things about humans. Have you ever met someone who, as an adult, they turned out to be someone much different than you ever imagined? You ever met somebody like that? Man, uh, my wife and I are great examples of this. If you had met us when we were 20, and I'm a little over double that now, if you had met us when we were 20, you would not have imagined under any circumstances that we would be married. And that's just the the honest-to-goodness truth. Uh, Chandra was... She was on like a, uh, a nationally ranked debate team. She was the one with the, you know, perfectly straight blonde hair carrying her books all tidy. Uh, she was the one that did so well in her classes. She never had to take the finals. I was the one that uh, I went to college and at first I survived. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I got through it. We didn't run in the same circles at all, man, if I got my hair cut once a year, that was like doing really well. I have some driver's license pictures from that time in my life that are hilarious. You see, the amazing thing about God is that because he has searched us, as it says in verse 1, he knows where we're going to be. He knows how we're going to turn out. And God knows everything that everyone else does not. And God knew uh, 15 years ago, more than 15 years ago, uh, 20 years ago, how much I needed uh, my wife to be just who she is. And he knew also just how much she needed me to be who I am. God knows everything that everyone else does not. And I love Psalm 139 because it manages to put into words, I think, God's relationship with us. And it helps us understand, and this is a thing people think about God, it helps us understand that God is not this detached, faraway being. You see, we can have a relationship with God because he has searched our hearts. And because he has searched our hearts, he knows our destination. That's really interesting. The word that is translated search here in your Bible, no matter which version you have, it can be taken to mean something like dig. And when you think of the word dig, right, uh, it can be a couple different things. There's a, different ways to visualize it. There is a dig that you do with brute force, right? You have a shovel with a point, and you put it in the ground, and you jump on it. Dig the ground up, right? Or it's the opposite, and that is like an archaeologist digging with the most delicate of tools, taking weeks or months or years to excavate a small spot. And I believe God's heart towards us is more like the archaeologist. God has discovered something precious inside of us, and he wants to make sure that everything good is preserved. And as God examines us, he reveals everything that's hidden deep inside. The good and the bad and the in-between. 
And so the parts of, that are not of God, they can be dealt with. And the things that are godly, they're exposed to the light. And they guide our steps. And he takes those small, delicate instruments and he painstakingly takes time to reveal the good things deep in our hearts. And David talks about these things specifically uh, throughout these first six verses. In verse 2, we can see that God is familiar with the small details of our day. It says, uh, when we sit and when we rise, there in verse 2. And he knows our thoughts from far away. You see, God knows what we are thinking just as surely as we know what we are thinking, probably even better a lot of the times. The only thing I can really liken it to, compare it to, is the way that after you have been married for a while, you can almost predict your spouse's actions or read their mind. It's not even something conscious you set out to do, right? You don't set out to predict everything they're going to do, know their steps. It just happens more and more the better you get to know them. I can go to my wife's work on Monday and I could predict within a spot or two where she's going to park. Not because I like go check where she parks all the time. I just know her. Right? I know when I go to see her work, I know where she always parks. And I would guess she can do the same for me. At 15 years and change, I can sometimes know what my wife is thinking about a given situation down to the very words that she will use when she talks about it. She often says this thing, uh, what is it? Uh, something for the goose, something for the gander. I don't know. She uses this expression. It's an old-timey expression. Sauce for the goose, sauce for the gander, right? That's what it is. For those of you who have been married for a couple years and you're like, oh, that describes us. Just wait. It gets a lot better or worse, <laughs> depending on the types of thoughts you're talking about. A lot of times the tone says a lot, right? Right now you will say, oh, leaves his shoes by the bed. Another 10 years, you might be saying he leaves his shoes by the bed. God knows when we sit, when we rise. He knows everywhere we're going to go. You see, God knows our destination, and he is familiar with the intricacies of our day. Verse 3 tells us that God knows us during our most daring adventures and our most boring days at home. I love the way the New Living translates verse 3. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know, if you were to follow somebody around, I don't know why you would do this, but if you were to follow somebody around every day for a week or a month, you would have a pretty good idea what they're all about. If you knew my travels and you knew when I was home, you would know a few things. You would know that I love to go down to one of these two gas stations and fill up a cup with Coke Zero. My wife calls them melty sodas. Right? We take, we take the, the cup we already have down and you save like 50 cents or something. And I beep the little app on my phone and every 10 I get a free one. Except the one right down here only has Diet Dr. Pepper. If I want Diet Dr. Pepper, I go to this one. If I want Coke Zero, I go to the one that's up there on Broadway. I like to try all the different Asian foods around. If you follow me around, you would know that I love to, at lunchtime, like try all the different Asian food around here. Sometimes I'll go to the golf course and I'll putt for a few minutes at lunchtime. If you followed me around, you would knew, know that during the winter, when there's a big snowstorm, I'm the opposite of most people. I like make sure the tires are good and I try and drive in the big snowstorm if I'm given the chance. If you followed me around for very long, you would know one of my favorite places in the world is the Oregon coast. It wasn't until not too long ago, but man, I love it there. 
The water's freezing and you can't get in. But man, I love it there. You would know that we put the boys to bed around 9 o'clock, around 9 o'clock, <laughs> you know. Uh, we go to bed around midnight. Between 9 and midnight, that's a lot of times when we get a lot of work done because the boys are in bed. The point is that we all have these, what we would call mundane details about our lives. But I don't believe that God would call them mundane at all. In fact, God has searched our hearts, and he knows and he cherishes all of those details about us. Because he has searched us, he's examined us, and he desires a relationship with us. And because he knows our comings and our goings, he knows our destination. Now, verse 4 deals directly with our speech. It says this, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Now, if we were to interpret this incorrectly, we can make this assumption that uh, if this is actually true, if God really knows every word on my tongue before I say it, that we are just robots that God is operating. He's up there with a the remote control, making sure John says what he wants him to say. But there is another scripture that I think we can partner with this that speaks to it. In Luke 6, 45, Jesus himself says this, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So before a word is on my tongue, he knows it completely, and for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So how is it that God knows every single word that comes out of our mouth that's about to come out? It's because he searched our heart. And the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Like it or not, friends, the mouth is going to speak what your heart is full of. You can try and make it not, but it's going to happen. Now, you might be asking this really natural question right now, and it makes sense. The question is, if God knows what I'm going to say before I say it, why does he not keep me from saying really dumb things that I shouldn't say? I've often asked that question myself. And the answer is because we have free will. It doesn't say he's controlling every thought or every word. He says he knows every word. God has searched our hearts so he knows what's coming, but he's not controlling us like some kind of puppet. He knows what we're about to say because he knows our heart. And out of our heart comes what we're going to speak. God knows our destination because he knows what we are about to speak. Man, verse 5 is one that is so meaningful to me. It says this, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. You know what it means to hem someone in? That's kind of like it may be an old-fashioned term. This is what you do when you're trying to keep someone or something safe. You secure the boundaries as best you can so there isn't a way to escape. I've talked to you about uh, our border collie lab mix named Rudy. I've had him here a couple times with me lately, actually. He loves being here with me. I've got to show, him, show you a picture of him sometime. But we have this dog, Rudy, and he is too smart for his own good, I often say. This is a dog that uh, can open refrigerators and open around doorknobs. Um, he's really motivated by food. So if there's food, he, he will do crazy things. And uh, he doesn't really try and run off, but he likes to be really close to where we are all the time. He just wants, he's, he's a dog that's made to herd sheep, so he tries to herd us all the time. And when we got to our new house in Boise, I had him there the first day, and we were, I was unpacking some stuff, and I put him in the backyard, and there's a little gate about this tall, and it's just got one of those little latches on it. I kid you not, man, he had that thing open within five minutes. He got his paws up on there, and he opened it with his nose and let himself out. So I've spent a bunch of time over the last few weeks trying to hem the dog in. And I finally resorted to just tearing out that gate and building a much taller one and putting the latch much higher. I'm going to try it out tomorrow. 
There was another gate that I had to go get with screws and bungee cords because it was kind of dilapidated. I had to go patch some other holes in the fence. He had never jumped a fence until this little gate because that little gate, I actually put a carabiner through it. One time he got the carabiner off, let himself out. But this past time, he just jumped the gate. I thought, okay, I'm going to have to buy myself, uh, build myself a bigger gate. The thing is, I'm trying to hem him in, right? He's a good dog. He wants to be where we are, but I'm trying to hem him in. And God's often called throughout the Bible the good shepherd. And then we are called the sheep. So God has searched our hearts. And because God has searched our hearts, because he has examined us, he knows which directions we're prone to wander. He knows which gate we're going to place our hands on and shake and see if we can get out. So in his great wisdom and mercy, he hems us in before and he hems us in behind. He uses our circumstances and the comings and goings of our life to guide our actions. Even more beautiful uh, is this thought David writes down here. God has laid his hand upon him. You see, you lay your hand upon your son or your daughter as a sign of love and a protection. As I was writing this earlier this week, uh, I started looking around my office and through the pictures on my phone a little bit. And I ran across all kinds of pictures where I'm doing exactly what uh, they have on the screen right here. I'm doing this just naturally with my sons. So this is a wedding we went to a little while ago. And uh, you can see there's John on, on your right, Luke on your left, you know, cheesing for the camera like Luke always does. And you see, that's just naturally what I do, right? When these guys are up with me, I place my hand on their chest. In their most vulnerable moments, they come find me. And that's what happens. They come up against me and I place my hand on their chest. And you see, this is what God does for us. He stands near and he places his strong hand upon us. All right? And he says, son or daughter, man, be strong and stand fast. You know, I got you right here. This is the direction you want to go. And come in close. Let me place my hand on your shoulder. I'm going to hold you fast. You see, God, he knows our destination because he's hemmed us in. And he's placed his hand upon us. Verse 6 tells us that David, even though he's managing to articulate how God searches our hearts, he knows he can't fully understand it. As well as we know a few other humans on this earth, we can't know them as well as God knows every one of us. Later on, he's going to talk about uh, all the grains of sand that Pastor Tim alluded to. But we can't know people as well as God can know them, nor can we know ourselves as well as God knows us. And I think what David is getting at here is that it's probably all for the best. Right? It says things, uh, though the Lord is exalted. Oh, sorry, wrong chapter. <laughs> Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And David, I think, is, he's realized something here. One of God's great blessings is that he doesn't allow us to know too much. I think, for one, if we knew too much, we probably would chicken out. We would end up being where we're supposed to be. But for two, there's a lot of blessing. There's huge blessing in following the mystery of God's plan for our lives. It's a mystery that only he knows. And I think we're going to get to heaven someday. And we're going to see the spots where God hemmed us in behind and before. 
we're going to see the spots where we prayed a prayer that God would take care of us and protect us. We forgot we prayed it, and he answered it. And he hemmed us in behind him before. And we're going to be so grateful that he placed his hand upon us. And he said, son or daughter, this way. You see, God can lead us home because he knows our destination. And he knows our destination because he has searched our hearts. We can also see verse 7 through 12. God can lead us home because we are never far from him. Verses 7 through 12, Psalm 139 say this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is, is light to you. You see, again, whatever point David is at in his life, he has realized something. There's truly no place that God can't find us. And both spiritually and physically, God is always near. Like I said, we don't know when he wrote this. I suspect it's uh, after he's lived a lot of life. And he's realized, man, God was with me when I fought Goliath. And God was with me when I had to pretend I was insane to escape the Philistines. God was with me when I sinned worse than I ever imagined that I would sin. God was with me when my son was trying to take my kingdom from me. All of those things are things that happened to David. But he goes on to uh, beautifully describe some places that we as humans might find ourselves. How both spiritually and physically God is always near. As massive as this earth might seem to us, as long as it can take to travel to places that are far off, we need to remember, friends, and this is what David is telling us, is that God is always ready to lead us home. Verse 8, I believe it speaks specifically to our spiritual condition. We talked earlier as we were setting up the chapter about how sometimes we're on the mountaintop and sometimes we're in the valley. And it's really tempting to think that how far away God is from us depends on our obedience. You need to hear this today, though, friends. The reality is that God's proximity depends only on his goodness. God is close to us because he is good, not because I am good. Yeah, the condition of our heart can change. And our hearts can be close to God. We can be uh, in tune with what God is saying or not. But we speak often of this forgiveness that God offers being just one step away. The reason he's always one step away is because he sees it all. We might feel far away from God, but the reality is that his proximity to us doesn't change. So in my best spiritual moments, when I know that I am hearing God's voice and his will, when I feel like, man, I'm close to heaven, as I can be on this earth, God is there. And when I feel the farthest from him, like nothing makes sense in the world, like one plus one does not equal two anymore, what is going on, he's there. His proximity to me doesn't change. That phrase in verse 8 actually refers to a spiritual place. As we read in the NIV, it says, in the depths. New King James says, if I make my bed in hell. ESV says, if I make my bed in Sheol. What these are describing is a place that uh, spirit goes when the body dies. 
that's absent from the presence of God. And we know that the reality of hell, from reading the Bible, we know the reality of hell is the absence of God. So what he's saying is even if you are trying to be absent from God's presence, even if you're doing your very best on this earth to be absent from God's presence, still he sees us. Because his proximity to us doesn't change. His proximity to us depends only on his goodness. Even if you are here this morning and if you are honest, you are actively running from God. You know he's real. You know who Jesus is. God has never stopped chasing you. And he's waiting for you to turn to him today. Just as verse 8 was speaking about spiritual distance, verse 9 talks about physical distance. It says this, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea. David here is really beautifully, poetically describing where the sun rises and sets. The wings of the dawn refers to the east and where the sun rises. The far side of the sea is meant to mean the west where the sun sets. David's realized, whatever point he's at in his life, he's realized that end to end on this physical planet, as far as he can go, there is not any physical place that God won't be with him. And there's so much power, friends, when we grasp this, uh, this concept, that wherever life on this earth takes us, even if it is the edge of the farthest ocean, but the sentence is not over. You see, if you look really closely at verse 9, seriously, look at it in your Bibles. You're going to see at the end of verse 9 a comma or a semicolon, not a period. And even if the original authors, they would not have used that punctuation, it's still meant to be one thought. And that is this, that we can never escape the truth of what verse 10 says. Even there, your hand will guide me, and your right hand will hold me fast. You know, if you're any good at playing hide-and-seek, you know the best places to hide are always in the dark, right? I was pretty good at hide-and-seek when I was a kid because I was tiny, like my son John. So I could hide under the bed. I could get in the kitchen cupboard. I could get in the places that no one would think to look. And when you're good at hiding at hide-and-seek, you're not going to be found until someone shines a light on you. And in our lives, when we end up in the darkness, maybe because we've run to the far side of the sea, whether because we ran there to hide or because that's just where life has taken us. I want you to hear this morning what verse 11 and verse 12 say. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You see, God's goodness and kindness are so overwhelming, even the darkness is as light to him. The darkest possible place you could think of is as light to God. Physical or spiritual, darkness and light, no consequence to God because he shines brightly through all of them. No matter where life takes us, friends, God can lead us home because we're never far from him. Our hearts might be doing their thing, but God's goodness doesn't depend on, on anything except him being good. A couple of final thoughts for you as we close today. One of those is this, that if we call back on those first six verses about how God personally knows us. I'm so amazed that God knows, right? He knows my innermost thoughts. He knows my comings and goings. 
He knows my biggest adventures and my boring days. He knows what I'm going to say before I say it. God knows all of that, and still he chooses to be near to me for some reason. And to call back on verse 10 from a few moments ago, that part about, how, about God's right hand holding us fast. You see that, that phrase, God's right hand, it's not just a poetic device. It's actually a phrase that's used prophetically throughout the Old Testament. You see, we come and we do church because we believe that Jesus came to earth. He lived a life with no sin. He died and he rose again. You see, after Jesus did that, he came to earth, he died, he defeated death, Jesus ascends to heaven. I want you to hear this morning what Mark 16, 19 says. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. So that strong right hand that David keeps referring to, he's speaking prophetically at this time because Jesus had not yet come to earth. But in our lives today, it's Jesus himself who is the power of his Father's right hand. You need to know, friends, when we accept Jesus into our lives, the right hand of God becomes living and active in us. God's right hand begins to guide us. And so when the Bible talks about God finding us on the wings of the dawn or in the depths of our sin, we need to understand that Jesus came on behalf of his Father as an extension of his right hand. And that same Jesus is here to find us today. You can bow your heads and close your eyes if you would all across this room. John 1.12 tells us this, to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. This morning, friends, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed because I want um, us to have a chance for the Lord to speak to us for a moment. There could be all kinds of different people in this room today, uh, people who have never known Jesus, people who once did but feel far from him. And this morning as we worshiped, you felt his presence for the first time in a long time. Maybe as we read the words of Psalm 139, you realize uh, even though God felt like he was far away, he never was. This morning, friends, we want to make sure everyone in this place has a chance to accept Jesus as their Savior. Again, to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. We're going to prepare to sing a little bit of I Exalt Thee here in a moment before we leave, but uh, with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, if you're in this place and uh, you would say, I'm the only one looking around, if you're here in this place and you would say, yeah, John, uh, here today, I either need to rededicate my life to God today or accept him for the first time, accept Jesus for the first time. If that's you, would you just raise your hand so we can pray together uh, when I count to three. One, two, three. Awesome, thank you guys. Just keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. I had several people raise their hand. Uh, we are gonna pray together as a church, friends. We don't do this every week, but today we're going to. We're gonna pray together as a church. I'm gonna ask you to repeat this prayer after me. If you didn't raise your hand, you're just agreeing with those who did. Accepting Christ into their life, rededicating it to him. So everyone in the place, would you repeat after me? Say, dear Jesus, thank you for this morning. Today, I believe in you. I believe you're the son of God.
You came to earth. You lived a life with no sin. And you died. And you rose again. Today I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I accept you into my heart. In your name, Jesus. Amen. You can look up. Friends, if you recited that prayer for the first time in a long time, or for the first time and you meant it, God's making you new in this very moment. Even if you go, even if you've gone on the wings of the dawn, he's found you today. Would you stand as we sing a little bit this morning before we go?